we are still looking at our uh, theme, and our theme is looking for Jesus in the Old Testament, and, you know, looking uh, at, you know, how Jesus appears and how we can fix our eyes on Jesus as we look at the Old Testament. Now, today, I want to focus on uh, how Jesus has freed us from the curse of sin and the punishment of sin. I want to continue with a kind of a theme of freedom that Nathan started even as we look forward into starting our Freedom in Christ course in a couple of weeks to come. So uh, I'm going to read from Deuteronomy 21. I haven't put my words on the PowerPoint, but it's a very small read, so just go with me. Deuteronomy 21, verse 22. And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him in the same, in the same day. For a hanged man is cast by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance." If you are thinking, what the hell is that? Let me read for you from Galatians 3. And Paul says, But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law when he was hung on the cross. He took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, Cursed is everyone who is hung on the tree. Now, just looking around today, I see really good-looking people. I see men who are really good-looking. I see ladies who are so beautiful, just as I pass my eyes and look around. But I want to start by telling you a story of probably the most handsome man that existed in his time. This guy was so handsome that all men admired him. They looked out to him, wanting to be like him. All women burned with the desire of love for this man. Not only was this man very handsome, but he was also a prince. So he was wealthy, he had the resources and the wealth, and he felt really confident in himself. He was a very proud man. And he had very long hair that fell up to his back. Now once in a while he would go to the barbers to have his hair cut. And they would cut his hair. And when they cut his hair and put it on the measurement, it would measure 200 shekels. In today's translation, it will be something like 2.2 kilos. So you can imagine how heavy that hair would have been, 2.2 kilos worth of hair. Now this man also, to add on his beauty and his prestige, he also had an awesome name. His name meant, or was translated as, the father of peace. So he had everything. He had the beauty, he had the prestige, he had the charm, he was a prince, and he had 
the name that meant he was the father of peace. The man I'm talking about is Absalom, the son of King David. You can get his story from the book of 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel starting verse, verses, uh, chapter 13 to chapter 14, 15 up to 18. That is where his story is found. Now, even though this man, seemingly everything was looking, going great for him, seemingly that his name meant that he is, he is the father of peace. He had everything but peace. Absalom was a bitter man. He had bitterness and anger in his heart. Even though outwardly he appeared to have everything going for him, but inwardly he was burning. You might identify with that this morning. On the outside, you might be looking as if everything is going all right. Seemingly to other people, they might be thinking that you are okay, but inwardly you might be burning. And this anger and frustration in Absalom's heart lasted day after day on the outside appearing to be okay, but on the inside, he was a dying man. Why was he dying inside? Absalom had a sister called Tamar. Now, his sister was also so beautiful. So beautiful that her stepbrother called Amnon was lusting after her. So lustful was Ammon to her sister Tamar that he felt literally sick of lust. And he convinced himself that he loves her so much that he just have to have her. So he hatched a plan where he pretended to be sick and then asked for Tamar to come and attend to his need. And as Tamar came to attend to his need, he grabbed her and he raped her. And Tamar begged Ammon and told Ammon, please don't do this. Just ask my father. He will happily give, you, give me away to you. Don't do this evil thing. But Ammon would not listen. He raped her and destroyed her virginity. And and Tamar cried and, and put ashes in her hair and ripped off her clothes and cried and wailed. And the Bible said, after he had raped her, Ammon looked at Tamar and he hated her. So much he hated her that the Bible says that the hate that he felt for her after he had raped her was more than the love that he ever felt for her. And he told her, get out. And Tama begged him and said, please, don't, don't even make the matter worse. Don't chase me away and make me look shameful. Just stay here and let's think about it. But he said, he told his servant, get her out of here. Now, when King David heard that his daughter had been raped by his first son, David, being a king, being a father, he was outraged. His heart burnt with anger, and he said, he did what? Ammon did what? But what surprises me is that even though David was so angry 
about what Ammon had done, he did nothing. He did nothing to punish Ammon. And Tamar being the sister, the young sister to Absalom, Absalom was enraged by the fact that his elder brother had raped his sister and enraged by the fact that his dad, who was a king, has done nothing. Now, I don't know why David will not punish his son for doing such a despicable thing. The act that Ammon did was punishable by death. I can only imagine, probably, David was one of those parents who think that they want to please their children. So if they punish them, then they will ruin their relationship with their children. And he thought, I want to be nice to my children, so I won't discipline them. Or probably more likely is the fact that just a few years ago, David himself had committed the same sin. Because in the previous chapter, he had lusted after a woman called Bathsheba, and he had taken her and had relations with her. And then to make the matters worse, he had killed her husband in war and taken the woman. So that sin that David had committed, that sin that God had forgiven him, probably David was still carrying the guilt of that sin. So when his son sinned, the guilt of his own sin overwhelmed him to the extent that he did nothing. Now for two years, Absalom was a bitter man. And he hatched a plan. He made a party and he invited all his brothers and his dad. But his dad couldn't go. But as Ammon went to that party, they were celebrating. Wine was flowing. People were laughing. And in the middle of the party, he had planned with his workers. And they struck Ammon and killed him. Now, what came to David quickly? All your children have been killed by Absalom. And David was trembling and wondering what to do. And someone else came and told him, no, David, it's not all your children. It is just Ammon has been killed. And as soon as Absalom realized what he had done, he ran away and went to his mother's hometown in exile. Now, David being a king, he had the ability, the capacity, the resources to send soldiers after Absalom to arrest Absalom and come and make him face the punishment. But again, David did not do that. So Absalom stayed in exile. For three years, he was in exile. And after David had finished wailing and mourning for his first son, Amnon, his heart started longing to see Absalom again. So desperate was David to see Absalom that he became so grieved. So his right-hand man planned for Absalom to return. And three years later, Absalom was returned back to Jerusalem. As Absalom was returned, David would not see him. Absalom longed to go and see his father. Absalom longed to meet his father, but David would not see Absalom. For two years, Absalom was in Jerusalem, but David 
would not see him. Until Absalom started doing so terrible things, burning fields and destroying property, that David met with Absalom. So when David met with Absalom, they embraced. He kissed him. And he let him go and reinstated him back to his authority and prestige as the prince. He gave him the robes. He gave him the chariot. And he gave him 50 horsemen to ride in front of him and shout, Absalom is coming. Absalom is coming. And people will kneel down and bow. Now, day by day, Absalom started to develop into some sort of a, a, a mini king. Now, every day, Absalom will come to the palace and he would hang around the gate. And as the horsemen come and say, Absalom is coming, Absalom is coming, people would bow down. And then Absalom will come out of his chariot and he will go and tell the people, oh, don't bow down to me. I'm one of you. I'm your buddy. Come, give me a hug. What is your problem? And someone will explain their problem. And Absalom will tell them, you know what? The king is so busy for you. The king has lots of things to do. He's not going to have time for you. But if only I was king, I would look after you. I will meet your needs. And the Bible says, Absalom won their hearts with his charm. Now, as I, as I was just reading that, I realized just how easy it is for the enemy to deceive us. For the enemy to say, your father is so busy for you. Your heavenly father doesn't have time for you. Your heavenly father has walked away from you. And they will charm you with lies and deceit, telling you that God has no space for you. David has, Dave has told us this morning about the freedom in Christ. I want just to encourage you to sign up for that course. Because on that course, you are going to be taught the heart of the Father for you. The heart of the Father is not a distant God. It is not a God who doesn't care. It is not a God who doesn't meet with you. It's not a God who doesn't desire to be with you. But it's a loving God who wants to spend time with you. The enemy will try to lie to you that your God is distant. Your God doesn't care. Your God doesn't delight in you. But the truth is, your God loves you. David loved his people. He loved his subjects. But Absalom started deceiving them that David doesn't love them. The king doesn't care. So Absalom carried on doing this for three years. And after three years, he went to David and he told David, you know what? When I was in exile, I promised, I made a vow to God that if I return to Jerusalem, I'll go worship at Hebron. So please allow me to go and worship at Hebron. So David said, okay, go my son, go and worship. But Absalom had hatched a plot. 
He had sent messengers all over the region and told them, when you hear trumpets ringing in Hebron, know that I am taking over. I am taking over as king. And because he had charmed the people with their charm and his beauty and his prestige, he went to Hebron, and when the trumpet sounded, everybody started saying, oh, Absalom is taking over. Absalom is going to be king. And David, being a good king, realized that there is going to be a bloodbath in the city because he knew that he had loyal men who are going to fight. He realized that so many innocent lives are going to be lost. So David said, no, I'm not going to let calamity come to the city. I'm going to flee. So David is fleeing. He has taken his household, his wives, his children, and he is fleeing with his loyal men. And as, as he's fleeing and going away, the priests come and say, we're going to take the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was where the presence of God dwelled in, in Jerusalem. So he, they say, we're going to take the Ark. And David said, no, God is not on the run. Leave the Ark of the Covenant in Jerusalem. I know if I've done something wrong, God will punish me. If I haven't, God will bring me back. So leave the Ark of the Covenant. So they leave. As they leave, he leaves his trusted man, Hushai, and say, Hushai, you stay. Stay and bring report to me. And he also leaves 10 of his concubines. But then Absalom comes. Absalom comes and takes over the city. He enters the, 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 the palace. And as he enters the palace, one of David's top advisors had rebelled against him. His name, he has a hard name. I have to look in my notes. His name being Antithopel. So Antithopel had rebelled, being one of David's advisors, had rebelled, and he was with Absalom. And as Absalom comes in the city, Absalom asks his top advisor, Antithopel, who had rebelled from David, what shall I do? And Antithopel tells him, you know what? Establish your authority immediately. David has left 10 concubines. Go on the top of the roof of the palace and sleep with them in front of everybody so that they know who you are. And then give me 10,000 men. I'm going to pursue after David. He is weak now. I'm going to pursue him and strike him when he is weakest. But the trusted man, the trusted advisor, Hushai, that David had left to watch things over for him, Hushai said, no, don't do that. That will be silly. What you need to do is establish your authority first. You send word to all the region and gather a huge army under your command. Because if you have a huge army under your command, then you will be commanding the whole of Israel and you can go and attack David. He said that so that he can save David some time so that David can flee. So Absalom thought that was a good idea. And Antithopel, realizing how silly Absalom was, Antithopel went home, he put his house in order, and he hanged himself. Now, I wondered why. Why would Antithopel, who had rebelled against David, why would he advise Absalom? Then after Absalom doesn't take his, his advice, he goes and hangs himself. One, because he realized that Absalom is done. He's not going to manage. And number two, 
why would he betray David? He who was the top advisor for David, why would he betray him? If you read back, you will realize Antithopel was the grandfather of Bathsheba. Bathsheba, the woman that David had taken from her husband and, and made relations with her. Antithopel was advising David, living with David, but he had all that anger going on in his heart. And that anger and that guilt made him betray David. So Absalom is still doing things because of the anger in his heart. Antithopel is doing things that have now killed him because he has hanged himself because of the anger in his heart. Now follow me. Let's see what happens. So Absalom thinks this is a good idea. And he starts gathering men. But David goes. So several years, months have passed now. I'm going to jump to the end of the story. And then the day of reckoning comes. The battle is looming. Absalom with over 100,000 men. David with his men. And then they go. They gather in the forest of Ephraim. And the battle starts. Absalom has come with men and his chariots. They are going to fight. And David with his men. As they go into the forest, Absalom realizes that his chariots are not going to walk into the forest. They are not going to be good enough for the forest because he cannot go anywhere with them. So they abandon the chariots and they go on foot in the forest. But while in the forest, David has placed their men, his men from every corner and they jump up from bushes from all over. And within a couple of hours, there is a slaughter, a huge slaughter. 20,000 men fall to the sword. Now, I want you to imagine this. A small anger that was not dealt with. A small pain in the heart that was not paid, dealt with. A small sin that David would have corrected now leads to the death of 20,000 men. If you are holding anger in your heart, if you are holding pain that you have never dealt with, I want to encourage you this morning to surrender that anger and that pain to God. Because that anger and that pain is going to eat in you. It's going to eat on you. And you're going to suffer death. Probably not physical death. But things around you, things in your life will start dying as a result of that anger. Because there is a solution for you to deal with that anger. There is a solution for you to deal with that guilt. So don't hold on to it. So Absalom realizes, oh my goodness, my men are finishing. And he starts running. So as he's running, he gets on his mule and he is running. He's making stride with his long air flying in the, in the, in the winds. And he is running on his mule. He's going, he's going. And then suddenly his hair gets entangled in the branches. And he is thrown off his mule. His mule continues to go. And he remains hanging with his hair trapped in the branches. 
Now, what will you have done if you were Absalom? Common sense will dictate that or will, will, will state that if you are trapped by the hair and you really want to get off, all you'll have to do is take your knife or take your sword, something that Absalom should have had as a soldier, and just cut your hair and then go. But I cannot understand why Absalom remained hanging on a tree by his hair. It beats me. Either Absalom was so inexperienced in war that he didn't even have a knife or a sword, which I find really hard to believe. Or Absalom was full of pride that he thought, I'm not cutting my hair over my dead body. I'm not cutting my hair. And I, as I was just thinking about this, you know, the Holy Spirit was kind of speaking to my heart. You know, what hairs are we holding on to? What hairs have we put in our lives and we've held on this hair so tightly and we are saying that I will never let go? Because if we don't let go of the hairs that we are holding dearly to, they're going to kill us. And thinking back at Nathan's sermon last week, you know, he said, he spoke about things that are holding us into our freedom. And he mentioned things like alcohol. He mentioned things like work. He mentioned things like the things that we hold on to and we say, I'll never move from here. I want to tell you that Jesus came to set you free. But you are not going to get that freedom if you are holding on to things. For you to be able to get that freedom, you have to let go of what you are holding, then you will enter into the freedom. All Absalom had to do was cut his hair, and he would have been free. But he didn't. He chose not to. So the Bible says, cursed is the man who hangs on a tree. Cursed was Absalom as he hanged on the tree. But just how cursed was Absalom? If we want to know how Absalom was cursed, we can look back in Deuteronomy chapter 27, when God told the Israelites to pronounce these curses. And you can go through these curses. There are so many of them. But the ones that are really relevant to Absalom are three I'm going to share with you. So Absalom, in, 20, in Deuteronomy 27 verse 16, he says, Cursed is anyone who dishonors their father and mother. 20 says, cursed is anyone who sleeps with his father's wife, for he dishonors his father's bed. 26 says, cursed is anyone who does not uphold the words of this law by carrying them out. So Absalom dishonored his father. Absalom slept with his father's wife, and Absalom broke the law. But wait a minute. Wait a minute. That reminds me something. Who else broke the law? Who else has broken the law? Who else has dishonored the law of God? Friends, it's me. It's you. We have dishonored the law of God. So, me and you and Absalom, we are in the same pot. We deserve to be cast. 
We deserve to hang on a tree because we have rebelled against God. And David, David heard that his son is hanging on the tree. And he's dead because Joab, his, his, his right-hand man, came and pierced Absalom and killed him. And David cried and he said, oh, Absalom, oh, Absalom, my son, if only I could die so that you could live. Absalom, oh, Absalom, my son. The heart of the father David was that he would die instead of his son. That was his heart. Even though his son was sinful, even though his son had committed these atrocious things, the heart of the father was that, oh my goodness, if only I could die so that you would live. Oh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem. How I would have wished to gather you up like a chicken gathers its young one. How I would have wished to bring you close to me. How I would have wished to give my life instead of you, but you wouldn't let me. Oh, the son of David cried, Jesus. But then Jesus died also, hanging on the tree. But was he a murderer? Was he a child molester? Was he a dishonor of his parents? Was he a thief? We see Absalom. We see Absalom born in prestige. Had everything. He was a prince, but we see Jesus born in a manger. Meek and poor. We see Absalom who had beauty that people desired him. We are told of Jesus, he had no beauty. There was nothing on him physically that we could desire. We see Absalom rebelling against his father. We see Jesus honoring his father, doing just what the father wants him to do. We see Absalom accusing the father, accusing others. We see Jesus praying for us, acting as an ad our advocate in our defense. But we see both Absalom and Jesus hanging on the tree. Jesus hung on the tree. And the curse that was meant for us, the curse that was meant for me and for you, he took that curse upon himself. But the difference is, Absalom hung on the tree and he was buried in a pile of stones. But Jesus hung on the tree. He was buried and he resurrected in glorious day. Giving you and me victory over sin, victory over shame, victory over guilt. The sin that was on him, the sin that was imputed on him was not his own sin, but my sin and your sin. He hung on the tree for me and for you. He hung on the tree for us. An innocent man hung on the tree because of that. I deserve to hang. But Christ has hung on my behalf. Cursed is the man who hangs on the tree. Why is he hanging? Because of me. Now I want to draw you close to this. You might be here this morning and you are still living a sinful life. You've never ever put your faith in Jesus Christ. 
You are saying by your own good work, you are going to make it. I want to tell you, you are not. Because Christ has accepted to take upon himself your curse, to take upon himself your guilt. But you've got to acknowledge him as Lord and Savior of your life. So if you've never done that, I would just invite you to put your faith in Jesus. Because he's going to take away your guilt. He's going to take away your sin. He's going to take away your shame. I want to speak to you this morning. You who has kind of the Absalom spirit. You think that you are better than others. And you, you, your whole agenda is to saying, they are not good, I am good. And you draw people in, you bring people close by telling them, I could be a better elder. I could be a better connect group leader. Oh, I, I would serve at church if only I was made the music leader. If only you give this position to me, I would serve you better than the other one who is serving. The Absalom spirit runs into us as Christians and God wants to set you free from that Absalom spirit of thinking that you are better than others. If you are one of those, can I ask just you repent, you turn around and say, Lord, I'm going to praise you and appreciate you for what you have put in others. But I am not going to diminish the giftings that you have put in others. But I'm going to seek the path of following you. But you might be here also who have been affected by the lies of the enemy that your God doesn't care. That your God doesn't love you. That your God doesn't delight in you. That your God is not doing enough for you. Just because you are going through this and through that, you might be telling yourself that God doesn't care for you. Can I encourage you to come to the Freedom in Christ course and learn the heart of God for you, the plan of God for you, the desire of God for you, to walk with you and hold you and lift you up in your life. And then lastly, I was just thinking, the biggest curse in our lives is not even sin. It's not even what others say. The biggest curse in our lives is what we tell ourselves. We know what God has spoken in our lives. We know what others have said. But the worst of all, the worst curse that we put through our lives is what we say about ourselves. And we stand there all of the time and say, I can never be that. I can never do that. I can never achieve that. Oh, this is just my thing. I can never ever be free. Oh, in my family we are angry people. So I am angry. Because in my family we are just angry people. It's, it's just our thing in our generation. Oh, nobody in my family ever went to university. So, you know, it, it's our thing. Nobody ever, ever went to university. So, you know, I can't do it. Oh, can you please serve God in this ministry? No, 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 I can never do that. I am not really meant for that. I am not able to do that. 
And by our own utterances, we diminish day by day the freedom that Christ has already laid his life because of us. And friends, I want you to take authority to say, no more diminishing what God has put inside of me. No more cursing myself and, and kind of stating my destiny, which God has not stated in my life. We are victorious in Jesus. We are winners in Jesus. We are more than conquerors through him who gives us strength. So if you are there feeling so sorry for yourself, feeling that you are beyond saving, I want to encourage you and tell you this morning that God has already laid his life for your freedom. And you are free if you choose to be free. Turn away from your anger. Cut your hair. And walk in freedom. Because Christ wants to set you free. Shall we stand? I don't know what you have picked up, and I don't know where your heart is, but I just feel there is freedom in Christ if we just lay our lives and say, I'm going to run and receive this freedom. So let's just close our eyes, even as Bunny comes back with his band. And I just want you to tell God, if you are struggling with anger and resentment and guilt, just let go. Let go and let God be. If you have things that you are holding on to, cut them off. And just let Christ just work his way in your heart. Because there is freedom even now in Christ Jesus.